We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hello, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan, and I am here back by popular demand with Omrapani. And between our first discussion, which is one of my, actually, I think it is the most downloaded of all of my episodes. And now I have had the pleasure of spending time with Om in person, one of his workshops in Tulum, which was absolutely game-changing experience. I also spoke with Lori on the podcast about the experience. And there are so many topics that I enjoy unpacking with both of you actually, and that we are, you know, in communication about, and what I want to focus on today, this, this should probably be like 
a nine, 10, 12 part series. But what I want to focus on today is specifically man, woman relating in a committed dynamic, also known as marriage. This is something I've been exploring, recognizing that I just didn't have the consciousness at the times I have previously engaged said covenant to appreciate its full potential and what is really being asked of a man and what is really being asked of a woman when they elect to participate. So I want to frame our discussion as far as, you know, what we dive into around what it is that women want, what is, according to you and me, (laughs) what it is that becomes available in the exchange of, you know, what you call a sacred marriage, what I would call a sacred marriage. And of course, (laughs) the ways that women are getting in their own you know, in their own way, they are interfering with what it is that they state they want through their behavior. And what I love about your work is that you call men and women to the carpet equally. When I listen to your videos, I never know when I'm going to get, <laughs> whether I'm going to be like, you know, enjoying the schadenfreude of the punishing energy of calling men to task, or whether I'm going to be myself, you know, like blushing and with my tail between my legs by the end of the video. So today I want to focus a little bit more on the role that women have in this, in really what we're seeing as a, a failure of the potential, you know, for this dynamic to really bring us home to God. So I want to dive in first with something that you've spoken about recently. I really enjoyed your video on the subject, which is the relationship between fear and feminine turn on and female turn on. Because I do think that if we don't address this specifically, right, like this tangly taboo, then I think you would agree that that is the energy that presence, unconscious presence of that fear in a woman's system, her inability to consciously connect it to her eros can destroy a relationship. And we spoke in our first interview a lot about the micromanaging and henpecking and the ways in which women diminish men and turn on their red light, right? As you would say, and it's driven by that fear. And I remember, and I'm going to give you the mic. I remember when my coach, Whitney, asked me to design in my mind's eye a scene of what would turn me on in 30 seconds. I knew immediately, right? That it involved, you know, pushing me up against a wall, grabbing my hair, like deeply penetrating me with a gaze and like the tension before a kiss. Like it was just unfolded immediately, that image, right? And there's a lot of aggression in that image. And I'm sure for other women, it might involve, you know, things that invoke a lot of the classical BDSM material, you know, whether it's choking or different kinds of bondage or whatever. But for me, it was that 30 second image and the experience of a man's aggression artfully right, administered is something that you are expert in. So I'd, I'd love to talk first about the taboo of fear in a woman's turn on and how we often choose, right? Safe men, nice guys, as you call them, because we don't have a conscious relationship to that, or we eroticize the wound, we eroticize the fear and unconsciously choose men who then bring that aggression to us rather than, you know, be the monster at our side, you know, as you would say. So, so speak a little bit about that before we get into the dynamics that are possible when women develop consciousness around their relationship to fear and their their turn on. It's a very rich topic that you have expressed. It's like I could write at least six essays 
and everything that you just talked about. So let me try and unpack it a little bit. So you're you're entering into in this particular inquiry kind of on the erotic aspect. So let's use that as a doorway. Why do women have fantasies of at least the one you described? Grab me, pin me, take me. So at beginning level of inquiry, I'm not even interested in the why. I'm interested in observing how this actually creates true erotic ignition in women. If you read women's romance novels, erotic novels, this scene you described is present throughout and throughout and throughout and throughout. Women are living these scenes through their heroines. They want to be the heroine. They want this moment with the right man, right? So this has, and again, I'm, I'm not the first to articulate pretty much any of this. You can find this other places. But I have one module for men regarding what do women want erotically? What do women want romantically? Women want to be desired. Women want to be pursued. Women want to be taken. It's a good piece of wisdom to keep in front of you. It's pretty reliable. Under the right circumstances, that energy of taking a woman, it pays off great dividends. It turns on her eros like nothing else. And also, this seems to be pretty universal. I don't think it is some peculiar women who have these fantasies. I think it is very much in the feminine system. And then my nerdy mind comes in and says, well, is there a particular reason why this is so universal? And I do find answers. That man is aggressive. He's assertive. He knows what he wants. He has the courage to go after it. There is an element of dangerousness in him. All of these elements actually qualify him as a partner. All these elements are present in men who make something of themselves in the world. He's not a shrinking wallflower. He's not afraid of women. Big one today. Today's men would not even think to engage in that way with a woman erotically because they have been taught continuous consent and be a good little boy. Let her take the lead. And women are yawning and going to sleep with these men. Not, not in a good way. So in that way, a man who evokes a little bit of a zing, even a little bit of a fear, I would say even borderline of excitement and fear, that in fact checks off a box in a woman's brain. This man has access to his dangerousness. This man has access to his primal energy. It is the same primal energy that he uses to protect her. It's a very, very significant first chakra evaluation. If a man does not have that energy, the woman feels when push comes to shove, this is not the guy I want with me in the back alley, right? So I think there is a reason why even the erotic template in women is what it is. I don't think it is random. And I don't think it is actually intrinsic only to your erotic desires. I think it is based in survival and the man's fitness. And what else does that imply about the man's character and his makeup? And usually what works in the erotic zone is also makes him a better qualified partner generally, his temperament, right? I find there's a logic why the eros works the way it works. You don't get turned on by weak men. You don't get turned on by men who you feel don't have access to their primal energy and they can't access their dangerousness. It doesn't turn on your eros and it doesn't make you feel secure to have this man as your partner in life, right? So I don't think the sexual desires are kinky. I think they're actually rather elegant that you get to firsthand in your eros test the man's energies. And women are very good at testing men's energies. You will feel it in your own system that power, that strength, that access to his primality, right? Men can't fake it. And if they don't have it, you will feel it right away. So I think that's starting to unpack. I think there's a shadow aspect when you say 
again, fear is a big word and it has many things that come out of it. So I think this is like a man who evokes good fear in a woman because he actually is dangerous. He has boundaries. He's assertive. He's not afraid to go after what he wants. And yet he's not violent, crazy, sociopathic and a violator. We are never advocating for that. And I think women know that too. So within the container of consent, within knowing sanely that if I tell this man, please stop, he will stop. Knowing that, feeling the man having access to all those parts of him is a turn on and it should be, right? And I imagine that that energy is also a signifier for other qualifications that you've identified, right? Like one of which is a man who wants to know the truth, can handle the reflections of his own failure and is non-defensive. Right. And another is the general competence, right? You talk about how women should pair with men who are better than them, specifically at masculine proficiencies, but maybe in general. And obviously coming out of waves of feminist entitlement, this is a a challenging. We can absolutely, again, it's a very rich topic, but we can even explore the dark aspect of it one step further. It's good to be with a man who is scary enough that other men are scared of him. It's a turn on to women. To be with a man, when you walk into the room with him, you see other men going, you'll see it in movies. They know how to create, capture these things. The gangster walks in with his girl and everybody parts ways. And the girl goes, that's status, that is acknowledgement. And even between men and men, now this man is not being sociopathic, he's just walking through. He's not hitting anybody. He's probably smiling, being gracious. But you can see in the other men, and that's, that fear is inseparable from respect. Acknowledgement of status. That is a very significant qualifier for men, and women have a very sharp radar. How do other men respond to this man? Right? If the other men are like walking all over your guy, doesn't bode well. We are both fans of Yellowstone, I believe. There are beautiful scenes in the bar when she is with her various men. And one of the ways you can see is how do other men respond to the men she's with in the bar, right? You know what I'm talking about in the show? Yes, and this hierarchical energy. Yeah, so all of that, and all of that has an element of fear to it, and it's kind of inseparable from respect. And this healthy combination of fear and respect, I say, usually it should have come to us through the father energy. We should have feared our father a little bit and think that and should have been an integral part of a respect and not in any kind of abusive way that the father was violent or unpredictable or abusive. It's just he was a man of substance. You did not cross him. You did not speak to him badly. And he deserved that respect. And I think it is great when a woman feels that way towards her own man. It's a healthy dynamic. We've spoken about how, even in our private conversations, how respect is the primary vector of bonding with yep. from woman to man, right? That that is what women should be looking for in their potential partners and committed relationships is a man that they can thoroughly and completely respect. Yep. And yeah, go ahead. Again, my inquiry, really, I am totally unbiased in my inquiries. I sit down and I observe what makes relationships work. I have seen relationships work where the women, where the woman has a lot more money than the man. I've seen them make it work. I've seen exceptions where the woman comes from money and the man does not have nearly as much money as her. And she's like, I don't care. I have the money, right? I've seen that work. I've seen marriages work 
where the eros is no longer a centerpiece. Either the couple is older or there are other things going on and it's not a primary thing. So they may not have a vibrant sex life. But I have never, ever, ever seen a great dynamic between a man and a woman where the woman was rolling her eyes at her man, where the woman was holding her man in contempt, where the woman thought her man was an idiot. Never, ever, ever once in my lifetime on this planet, I challenge anybody to find me one couple where the woman has absolutely no respect for her man and she's still just crazy about him. It sounds like an absurdity, right? So yes, there are many metrics and I would love for women to have multiple metrics. I would love for you to have a man who actually knows how to handle you sensually, right? But I have seen relationships work without the sensuality piece. I've seen relationships work with a woman that has so much more provision herself because of family, money, and her own things than her man can provide. And I've seen those relationships work, loving, brilliant, dynamically. I have never seen a happy, healthy relationship where the woman looked down on her man, where the woman disrespected her man, ever. So I'm like, okay, well, let's start with this, as this is an indicator, right? How about that? This is observation. If you find exception to this, you tell me. I have a, like, what I think could be considered a viral, like, million plus view video, the only one of my entire library of, you know, yapping online. And it's about what happens when a woman loses respect for her man, the moment that she senses that in her body, and it could be for myriad reasons, right? It's extremely personal, although there are very universal vectors of respect and how that is the first seat of infidelity, right? Of a man's infidelity. And I think it's popular because we know how essential respecting our man is. And there are so many ways to cultivate that and support that you know, when it was initially available. So you talk about, I pulled this from one of your courses. You talk about the exchange that is available when perhaps, you know, that initial bond of respect is cemented in place. And you talk about the, a balanced exchange of a man's attention for a woman's enthusiasm. And I love that because just remembering for a woman to remember that her offering to her man is her enthusiasm is such a freeing imperative, right? If that's what I am here to provide, I'm not here to help. I'm not here to make things better. I'm maybe here to support, but really what is wanted is that energy. Then a beautiful covenant, you know, can come online and you have described what you call the seven chakra marriage, which of course could be, you know, an entire workshop. I would love for you to paint a picture of what you know, what you believe, perhaps what you've seen, perhaps what you live is possible through this kind of dynamic, you know, between a man and a woman. Right. As you say, it's a rich conversation again, because we as human beings are so complex and there are so many ways that we can contribute to each other and by contributing to each other, demonstrate our attractiveness. So there are many metrics and I like the chakra system, so I like organizing things in that way. But I'm, I've mentioned to you that I am putting out a short, free course, self-study course, which is based on the seven chakra marriage model. Only It only covers the first three chakras because I need to give people a crib sheet. So many people are coming these days and they are seeing the attraction. They're like, I think we want to try this polarized dynamic. And how do we get started? And I'm like, I think I need to put something in writing and offer it to people for free so they can at least read it. And, you know, it's my version of it, but that's the best I can do. That you can read it and say, oh, I see what he means by it. 
Because today, if you say dominant man, submissive woman, man leading his woman, they're like, well, okay, but what does that mean? And it's a very legitimate question because we're not living, we don't have living templates of this in our culture, in our TV, in our movies. So we have, people have no idea what this means, even though they are being drawn to it. They are seeing the frustration of egalitarianism and they're like, is there something else? This is why I've created that thing. And in that three chakra model, I start basically one, two, three. I can kind of walk you through them. And even, even I think better than thinking that this is an exchange, like a one-to-one -one exchange, I think the better under model is this, that at every center, there are ways a man can contribute to a woman and there are ways a woman can contribute to her man. And every way which we can contribute, I call it a mastery. This is a mastery a man could have if he has this. This is something women will find attractive. He has this mastery. And there are many, many masteries. And the more masteries you acquire, the more attractive you will get. Right. And they are associated with different centers. So instead of thinking like we are making a one-to-one -one contract, you give me this, I give you that, you give me this. It's like I have these masteries which I have to offer women. I want to look for women who has offered these masteries and then let's see, are we a good match? Right. So in that vein, we can kind of mention a few of them in this conversation. One of the basic one I would love to start with is containment. It's pretty reliable. Men can come into their core. Men can come into their ground. Energetically, they can be contained. Energetically, they can have access to their dangerousness, which is actually needed for them to give containment. Interestingly, men who don't have access to that can't actually give solid containment to women. And even at the material level, I'm, I will lump it all in one. Even at the material level, a man needs to have his life together. He needs to have money. He needs to have a nest. He needs to be solid in the material world. Because if he's broke, a woman will not feel contained in his company, period. He needs to be solid in the 3D. And if he has that in place and he has the energetic skill to contain a woman, that is a huge mastery for a man to have. And women want that. So that's a massive offering, mastery he can offer at the first chakra level to women. And when women are around that man, a man who has his life together, a man who has his money together, and he is energetically and in his character, someone who can hold her and contain her, women are going to find that attractive, right? It's, it's very non-controversial. You would be hard-pressed to find a woman who, aside from all other metrics, does not value that metric in a man, right? That's a starting point. We can go up at the second chakra and talk about sexual mastery, erotic mastery. I tell my men for the modern women, maybe this was not the case 200 years ago because erotic expression was not a very big priority for people. People were interested in surviving and having children and just surviving and surviving and surviving and having children and hoping the children survived. And the second center was mainly serving a procreative function. Right, erotic expression and sensuality and pleasure was really people just did not have the resources for it. Maybe the only the very rich did. Not the case today. It's really not the case today. Women are seriously leaving men who sexually bore them. It's a deal breaker. Why? Because our first chakra is relaxed, because women have their own money and women want pleasure. Women want that connection. Women actually want erotic journeys. And this is a great mastery to acquire. This should be an easy sell to people. Men, please learn to handle your women's bodies. This, is, this should not be a hard sell. But many men are still not really stepping up to it. You've been in my classes and you know the complaints. <laughs> You've made them yourself. Like, please, God, send me men who know what to do with a woman's body. And I'm with you. It's a very important factor. It's a very, very pleasurable mastery to acquire. 
but it is a mastery. As you know, even in a classroom when you're doing PG exercises, if the man doesn't have it, it's like, get away from me, right? That's not a man you're going to lean into. That's not a man you're going to bond with. That's not a man you're going to be thinking about when the date is over, right? That's an important piece. And at the third chakra level, I would say, be a man who commands respect. Again, make something of yourself. Have solid boundaries, have strong values, and command respect from men and from women. And if you evoke that response in a woman like this is a man of substance, I would be proud to be seen with him. That's a huge attractor. Is integrity of word in Absolutely. That? Part of your containment. You can't be a liar and give containment to a woman. You They're can't proper. drop, you can't violate her trust and provide containment. You can't be inconsistent and provide containment. It's all part of the same thing. Many men say, well, I provided her containment last week. Why can't I be in breakdown this week? I'm like, it just doesn't work that way. That's not the energetic contract. I provide her containment three days of the week. She provides me containment three days of the week. I'm like, no woman wants that contract. They don't. They just don't, right? Your woman will give you containment once a year when you had a death in the family, right? And that would fall under her feminine nurturing and caring for her man, and that's beautiful. But even that should be really short-lived, truly. If you, if you get knocked down and you don't get up, that pussy will dry up. It will. As soon as women go into caretaking, even if they are happy to give that caretaking to their man, it's like in that time, the eros dries up, right? I've heard this is the equivalent of like when women are nursing, their sex drive goes down and it's simply hormonal. It's like that. Nothing wrong with being a mother, but it's like in this period, expect the eros to fall off. While you're caretaking your man, it may be necessary. It may be part of your love, but generally the eros will fall off. And that's a very strong indicator. Caretaking and eros, they just, they're like seesaws. They don't work. And if men is seeking containment from their women, it's absolutely disastrous. And that's what the nice guy is seeking. That's what the mama's boys are seeking. That's what the unindividuated man is seeking. If he is not individuated from his mother, he's seeking that maternal energy from his wife. And the wife's like, not really. Don't want to give it. And on this subject, you've distinguished helpfully for me and other women that service, right? That devotional service. Yeah. Some of us may confuse that with helping and with, with caretaking and yep. support. And you invoked, you know, the sort of master-slave energies. And that was helpful yep. to me rather than the mother-son. I'm not against the word help. Helping is fine. I, I, I love the term that comes straight from the Bible, be a helpmate to your man. I actually think that's a good marker. But that is energetically, it's not caretaking energy. It's not mothering energy. It is not giving your man containment. Helping to me would be help your man build the life he's building for both of you. Absolutely. Work with them, cooperate with them. To me, I would put it under cooperating with your man, right? Use whichever word works best. But coming but into it... agreement with your man, cooperating with your man, preferably while he is in a healthy lead position. Hmm. So you're not carrying him, but you're helping him the way, I don't know, pick a hierarchy where somebody who is in a hierarchy is helping the mission that they are part of. The way a secretary would write. Like, yeah. Yes, the wife is not a secretary, but let's say in that context. Energetically, right. That you are helping the man do the things he's trying to do in this world. Supporting him, helping him, being being a helpmate to him. And yeah, all that is, I think, great. I think that is what partnership is about. Use the word partnership if you want. Being in partnership and pouring your energies with his energies to help create your life together. I think we are here to contribute to each other, but that does not mean carrying him or mothering him in any way. 
Okay. So what about the the woman's role in the three chakras? I would actually say that would be her biggest contribution in the first chakra would be whatever your man is building, help him build it. Provide the complementary pieces, right? In the home setting, it could be take his house and turn it into a home. I really believe women holding the heart is a beautiful, important, significant thing. It's really the feminism movement has killed many, many beautiful, important, central things that are well, it's amazing how they've done the job, but like holding the heart, they have basically stigmatized it, right? And I think heart is extremely important, not only for yourself and your man, but for certainly for your children. I mean, I don't, I don't really even understand women who are like, I never go. I'm like, what are you going to do if you have children? Are they going to starve day after day if you don't cook? Are you planning on raising your children in a filthy home because cleaning is against your ethos? Like, this is ridiculous right? And keeping hearth is part of your social standing. It is part of your prosperity. It is a place where it can be a center, social center for your community. It actually is a part of you having higher status as you have a beautiful hearth. This is a place the community can come. This is the place where not only your own children are thriving, but their friends come and they're like, your home is so great. Your mom always has the best food. That matters. It really does, does matter when all that is in play. That those are just, you know, some of the factors. I and really cooperate with your man and expand his life in the first chakra in any way possible. Take his money and expand his money. Take his money and use it, but use it well. Right? Create a beautiful life for the both of you. Contribute to his work in any way you can. Be a great work wife. Instead of complaining he's working long hours, reward him for it and nourish him for it so that he can be even more productive. Oftentimes I see high-achieving men, their secretaries are better wives to them than their wives are, right? Be a helpmate, truly. In the second center, in the erotic center, it is not rocket science. We are so, your femininity and your sex is such deep nourishment for the masculine that please do not hold it in reserve and do not withdraw it and do not get lazy. It is an essential nutrient. Keep yourself buzzing, keep yourself beautiful, keep yourself embodied in your feminine. And keep those channels open, and that can be such a vibrant way to create intimacy, to nourish your man, to nourish yourself, to keep that buzz going between the two of you, of a man who knows how to handle as a woman and his woman who is like basically pouring her femininity and her sensuality on her man day after day. And it is the best way to keep Eros alive in the long term, right? I have a section in the course in this particular area called Domestic Erotic. I'm like, if you're at home, be in lingerie. Really, I'm sorry. This is not a male fantasy. Be in your lingerie or be only in an apron in the kitchen if the kids are not around. You want to know how to create a great sex life? That's how you create a great sex life. It doesn't happen in the bedroom at 9.30 p.m. It happens in coming to your man in lingerie in the morning, holding his cappuccino in two hands and bending over and serving it to him. You want a fun, playful life? That's how you create it created from the morning onwards. I just said that to my girlfriend. I said, you're going to spend $300 on a negligee that you wear for five minutes before he takes it off. Wear it while you're cooking. <laughs> you should. You wear, it, wear it while you're bringing him his scotch. Wear him while you are lounging around, while he comes to the door, for Christ's sakes. Your sensuality, your femininity is such deep nourishment to men. It isn't even about having sex, sex, sex. It's about like, oh, God, 
he'll for him to just look at you and it's like like a head of nourishment it's like just a wave of stress relief can happen it is so rich and nourishing and resetting and it's so much fun right long-term couples are always whining there is no fun left it's all domesticity it's really up to you and i really put that on the feminine it's like the feminine is the keeper of that erotic energy and the men are always open to receiving it right and that's that's a life you have to create this is again where people who do bdsm shine because they create strict protocols for the submissives because they want to have this right submissive gets specific instructions when you walk through the door this is how you will be dressed this is how you will greet me this is the posture you will be in and there's tremendous erotic tension in that right the best i can do for married couples is turn them into doms and subs right this is a interesting topic i've discovered which i'm articulating sex does not live in the wife archetype for women now this may sound strange to people at first when they hear it first but i'm like there is a reason women find their way to bdsm is because they realize my sex actually lives in the submissive women archetype all your heroines all your fantasies all your bodice ripper novels your heroine goes into her submissive archetype or is inspired to go into her submissive archetype by a dominant man and that's where she discovers the fountain of her eros so when the woman is stuck in her wife duties for years or mother duties for sure there is no eros there and the best contribution we can make as coaches is help them transition from the wife and the mother to the submissive and that's where the eros flourishes right and having these domestic setups and initiatives is really a opportunity for a woman to make room for her submissive women archetype where her eros lives right if she's stuck in the mother archetype for sure she will not have access to her eros sex does not live in the mother archetype and interestingly it doesn't even live in the wife archetype wife is a partnership archetype it is brilliant it is very important it is where lives are built together right but it does not hold the eros piece it does not hold sexual surrender right So these are I think all invitations for us that we want to create this really vibrant life and these are the masteries we can bring that can really raise our living and our connection to almost a level of elegance it doesn't happen automatically it has to be created these masteries have to be cultivated if you don't you just end up in a lazy grayness after a while where nothing much is happening which is where most people just end up there is no effort being made nothing really gets created if no effort is being made you have to be deliberate about it you have to cultivate these masteries yeah it's like the circuit is broken when i say flower essences do y'all even know what i'm talking about so many people understand plant medicine and holistic healing but this medicine is potent and beautiful and a reflection of how we are understanding human physiology to be a resonant field of energy My favorite brand Lotus Way has the best quiz for you to really understand the flowers and which elixirs are most supportive for you. If you head to the link in show notes, it'll take you to the quiz and then you can choose your most powerful elixir. Don't forget to use my code Kelly15 for 15% off. And in case you're curious, I'm a divine truth and luscious embodiment kind of gal. Have fun. I want to dive a little bit more into these archetypes that you brought up. because i find it personally extremely helpful to organize the intentional expression of my energy as a woman through these archetypes and i have talked about how the presentation of the wrong archetype if you will 
at a given time and in a given context, particularly when what you're interested in is, you know, committed sacred union can result in the, either the sabotage of that dynamics potential or just not attracting it to begin with. And you speak a lot about how we get in our way as women. I'm going to lift this sentence from an email that you wrote me because it's hilarious. <laughs> so you write the way that women say they want a certain thing and then do something that is entirely at odds with securing exactly what they say they want. So you say, is the equivalent of a gardener attempting to tend his plants by pouring gasoline over them instead of water and then running over them with a bulldozer instead of carefully pruning them and then setting the whole thing on fire <laughs> and then standing around and wondering why the flowers are not coming out. Right? So apparently this is what we're doing, women, <laughs> in our expressions. And you've talked about the girlfriend archetype and the wife archetype. In one of your pieces, you talked about you know, the fabulous woman, which may be, you know, paired with the girlfriend archetype, the fabulous woman archetype. And I think it will be really helpful for women to hear a sketch. You've touched on this, but a sketch of the energies and intentions embodied by each of these different archetypes and the ones that are most important to hold in partnership with your man. Okay. This does take a little bit of explaining, and I encourage people to visit the free course, which is on my website, omarpani.com. We'll have a link in show notes. Just created a dominant man, submissive woman, we call it dominant man, submissive woman, relationship primer. It's the best I could title it. It's only three modules for men, three modules for women, and it kind of really takes you through these particular archetypes, because I think this is at the heart of the conversation, but it takes a little getting into. I believe the girlfriend archetype is a false archetype. It is an incomplete archetype. It is an archetype that is a result of feminism, of wounded feminine. It is a hodgepodge conglomeration of a woman who has not done her work, who has not healed her relationship with the masculine, but still needs to interact with the masculine somehow. She still wants to go on dates. She still wants to seduce. She still wants to have sex. She still wants to have connections with men. And she's like, how can I do that? Well, you can do that as a girlfriend. And this is obviously not an exceptional action on the part of women. This is universal at this point. The world is filled with girlfriends and there is nowhere a wife in sight. And I know that sounds like a bit of an outlandish assertion, but it is what I am observing. You can read through my modules and feel them out for yourself. I don't believe the girlfriend is interested in bonding. I don't believe the girlfriend energy, when the girlfriend energy, the woman actually ever gives herself to a man. It's a temporary connection by its very energetic configuration. The girlfriend archetype is not a partnership archetype. Do you think that she could be, sorry to interrupt you, do you think that she could be consciously interested in partnership, but that this is a subconscious, you know, shadow element that she says that she wants partnership, but her energy and her actions and her behavior are not that? Yes, it is the equivalent. And I wouldn't even say that. I think it is the equivalent of wounding. It's the equivalent of wounding, which is somebody says they want intimacy, but they have deep issues either around attachment or abandonment. And as soon as the actual possibility of your intimacy shows up, they are the ones who sabotage and run. And then they say, but I want intimacy. Yes. And the possibility shows up and they are the ones who sabotage and run. 
This right. is what Pia Melody, who writes about love addiction, she talks about how the anxiously attached, the love addicts yeah. are actually subconsciously afraid of intimacy and yes. consciously afraid of abandonment and that the avoidance are the ones who are consciously afraid of intimacy and subconsciously afraid of. And of both of them will find their own ways of sabotaging secure attachment, right? So this is what I observe. Do uh, When women say they want a deep partnership with a man, do they mean it? Absolutely, they mean it. I think it is a cry from their very soul. Part of them knows, what am I doing? Where is my partnership? Where are my children? Where is my home? Where is my heart? What am I heading towards in life? The fabulous woman looks at her fabulous life and says, great, why don't I feel this as being amazing and fulfilling? I should have been there by now. Instead, I am panicking in here that I am off course, right? These are direct conversations I have with women, not making this up. And I believe the structure of that is the call for partnership and that deep connection with a man is real, except the wounding part is she actually still is stuck in the girlfriend archetype and the girlfriend does not bond. The girlfriend does not get converted into a wife. And I see women chasing their tail with this. They will have the opportunity. They will have an engagement ring on their finger and they will sabotage it for no good reason. Just not feeling it panic in my system. Yeah, that's what the girlfriend's panic is. She is not built for connection. She is not built for bonding. And if you are in that energy, you will find a way to exit. And then you will try and justify it to yourself. And you will also know, I think all my justifications are bullshit. But what face am I possibly going to present to people that this is a third engagement I've broken off and I keep yakking, I want partnership with a man. And people ask what was wrong with the guy and she will essentially say nothing, nothing. So I'm like, what do you want? What is going on with you? Because you said 70% of divorces are initiated, right? These are the numbers on Google. Check them out. 70 to 75% of divorces are filed by women. And when they say no fault divorce, generally there isn't any fault. At best, the women will say, I don't like him anymore. I don't feel passion for him anymore. There isn't like a real first chakra reason for leaving. It's just like, I just not feeling it. The girlfriend never feels the joy of commitment. The wife archetype does. This is why I expressed, you could be married with a ring on your finger and three children by the same man and have never been his wife. You've been a girlfriend the whole time. And in fact, when that woman divorces that man with two or three small children in tow, part of her system actually feels relieved. You know why? Because the girlfriend has been released from a configuration that she never wanted because she's still a girlfriend. She never was a wife. I see this clearly because I really work in archetypes. To other people, this may sound like a crazy conversation. But if you, you believe yeah. in archetypes, it really matters what your energetic configuration is. And the wife's energetic configuration is extremely different from the girlfriend's. Before we move on to that, I want to clarify and reiterate some things that you shared with me about this that I thought were really helpful. So you said that the girlfriend, she walks around the world. Yeah. And she, she holds an energy of... Don't you wish I was your girlfriend? Yes. So it's a tease. It's a teasing energy because subconsciously she's actually afraid of that. It's a third chakra energy. It is an esteem energy. She is constantly seeking her value. This is why it's wounded. It is all about me and myself. So I write in one of my modules, you see eyes on you on the street, the beacon you're sending out, don't you wish I was your girlfriend? You see a coworker staring at your cleavage, the beacon you send out is, don't you wish I was your girlfriend? 
you're walking home, leaving your office and passing the janitor in the hallway, the elderly man, and you say hello and good night to him. Believe it or not, even then you're beaming. Don't you wish I was your girlfriend? I tried this out for yourself. Maybe I'm completely nuts. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's the beacon of the girlfriend archetype. And she is beaming that at every man she encounters. And I call it the auditioning energy. She's mm -hmm. auditioning herself to every man she encounters. And she's auditioning every man to herself. She's like a diligent actor who goes to auditions every single day and never lands apart. Because auditioning is where she lives. And in that energy, she hops men very easily and readily. In fact, that feels natural. She doesn't expect these relationships to last. I don't care what women say. I believe there's a relief the girlfriend feels when she hops from one man to the next. I think that is her natural movement. And you're also saying it's possible to remain in this wounded archetype in the setting of seeming commitment, right? So when you say that the girlfriend does not give herself, she actually does not offer herself fully to her she man. Doesn't. And then there's a woman who says, well, what do you mean? I've had his kids. I've been married. You're talking about a kind of a level of commitment yeah. that is devotional in nature, that is comprehensively offered, right? So it is, it is. And I would say it's not even like the girlfriend is at a low level and the wife is at a high level. I think these are different energetic configurations. And yes, they have different characteristics, but I don't think the girlfriend ever graduates to a wife. They're just entirely different. And in that line, yes, the wife archetype is interested in building with her man, but it is not a time-determined archetype. A wife is a wife on the first date. Just as a girlfriend can be a girlfriend, even after a 10-year marriage, a wife is a wife walking down the street without any relationship in sight. It is who she is, right? And this needs to be understood. This is, I think it is has many layers and it has to do with many ways we are living incorrectly in society because that energy of the wife extends beyond her man. It, it certainly applies to her man, but being a helpmate to her own children, to her man is one step of it. Beyond that, she's a helpmate to her village. It's a completely different energy. It is not a nuclear family, cellophane, personal wrapped life energy, right? It is the life in which we build our community, our family, which, which is in our community, which is in our village, and it extends to our social fabric. And the wife is an absolutely integral part of creating that fabric. Girlfriend isn't. The girlfriend comes and she hops herself in front of a man she finds attractive today. And if anything goes wrong here, she ex exits and hops herself in front of another man till this game starts to look not very sane. And it has a diminishing return as the woman ages, right? You know, this is an exercise that's not in the primer, it's in the main course. But I offer this exercise to women, right? Say your name, close your eyes as, as a woman, say your name because, and really listen to the energetic hit in your system when you say your name because it registers as your home. Say your name like Kelly and say, I am your mother, right? Yes. Say Kelly, I am a mother and see how truly that resonates in your system because it's a true archetype. And you can use that for other true archetype, like you're a daughter, might be a sister. And then say, I'm a girlfriend, and see how that rings in your system. You're likely to find a little cringe in it. Past the age of 14, 15, 
you're not supposed to be a girlfriend. The girlfriend archetype was supposed to be like a courtship rehearsal archetype, preparing you for bonding with a man. It was just a dress rehearsal, just stepping into the role of true bonding. A 30-year-old woman, a 35-year-old woman, a 40-year-old woman calling herself a girlfriend, feel into it and you will know, I feel ridiculous calling myself a girlfriend. The archetype rings false in your ears, in your chest. It's like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a girlfriend at this age. And I think that's because the archetype is false. It's a mismatch. It's an archetype that actually doesn't even evolve. Interestingly, the girlfriend, the woman whose girlfriend at 20 is actually doing the same things that a woman whose girlfriend at 40 is doing. The archetype doesn't evolve. She's playing the same game. An arrested right? development. Yeah. It's an arrested development because the archetype isn't real. Right. I hate, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, in a very facile way, compare things to NPD, but I find parallels. This is the same structure that people with narcissistic personality disorder have. That's why they never evolve. That's why they can never self-reflect. That's why when you encounter them 10 years later, it's like no time has passed because their entire persona is false. They have a false identity. So I think these energetic configurations are not just theoretical. People with NPD have had to create a false persona early on in childhood, and they live in that, and they can't destroy it because underneath that is an abyss that they're terrified of. But one characteristic of this, and even, even therapists will tell you this, is they simply don't change. They don't change. You can show them the dead bodies they have left behind them. And any emotional process, like remorse, like guilt, like self-reflection, that to a normal human being would cause turmoil and cause us to change. Like, I can't be this person. I must change. They will find a way to get rid of it. This essentially is the process of gaslighting. They gaslight themselves on what their reality is so that they can maintain the identity. And any archetype that doesn't change, it is a false persona. And I see this parallel in women sometimes these days. And it is wrapped up in a very innocuous container called the girlfriend, which I don't think is a real archetype. It really is a wounded package in which women function. It is, allows the woman who disrespects men, thinks men are toxic, to still go out on Friday night and get a date and get laid and wake up on Sunday morning and say, men are horrible, men are toxic. That makes sense to the girlfriend, the way things make sense to a narcissist. They don't see the contradictions, right? And it is absurd to observe all this. And when you see so many, so many events happening where women are saying, I want partnership, I want a man, and you see her with a great man, and then she destroys that connection. You're like, what are you doing? It's here. It was served to you on a platter. Why can't you bond with a man and start your journey and be his helpmate and let him take care of you, give you containment and build this life together? It's in the wrong archetype. It won't work. Try it out for yourself. I don't know how this is landing on you. I know some of, some of the ideas may sound a little weird to people. No, here's what I'm used thinking. To in those yeah, terms. this is very helpful. And you know, even in conventional psychiatry, a lot of what you're describing would be considered rather than narcissist when they land in a, a woman's body, it's a borderline personality construct, a lot of these patterns yeah. and they stem. Yeah. From- I'm speaking as a lay person. I'm, I'm not a no, therapist. No, I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't subscribe. I have encountered it. enough narcissists that I have to study it just as a lay person. Yeah. It's and I'm, so I'm seeing this, this structure. I'm like, well, this is fascinating that this is also what the therapists describe on why narcissists don't change because usually therapists are not that quick to give up on people, but with narcissists, therapists just wave the white flag. They're like, leave them alone. 
we can't help them. I'm like, wow, that's unusual, right? And the only way you can get through to them if they decompensate, if they actually give up the false identity, which you know is difficult to do. What I'm seeing is, and this may be a dichotomy that I see and you don't, but is the girlfriend, you know, woundology, let's say, and then the mother archetype, because a lot of what I, you know, help women with and myself is maturing and healing and integrating this rescuer impulse, right? Where the victim triangle, you know, that this sort of covert victim consciousness that lives in the rescuer that says, you know, I will, it's codependency, right? That I will give you this, but I'm expecting that, you know, that's how I can achieve what it is that I'm unwilling or unable to ask for directly. And a lot of that ends up relationally looking like mothering, right? This shadow mothering that you talk about, it's, that is not erotic. And so I think a lot of us experience this, you know, I will remain in my woundology or maybe I will, you know, help my man out and I'll, you know, make sure that I help him to be a better man. Right. But really a lot of, yeah. what, you know, Laura Doyle talks about and yeah. wife is like how that that is actually fear driven and it doesn't result in the kind of union, certainly not the polarity that you're interested in. And what you're positing is this archetype, the wife archetype that yep. is compatible with the choice to commit and bond. That yes. is the archetype primarily. And there are others, you know, the submissive archetype and others that you can invoke at will. So how would you describe the wife archetype as being distinct from the mother, from the girlfriend? So this is, again, actually connects to the very first point we talked about on fear. I was about to tell you about the shadow of fear, but we never went there. So this is why, in one word, control. Your friend wants to control. The wounded feminine wants to control. The woman who is afraid of the masculine wants only way she can have her way with the man is to control. She's not interested in surrendering. She's not interested in showing up in good faith and saying we have to work together, which is, in fact, the entire home of the wife. We are in this together. I don't want to control you. I need you to lead me. I need to see your strength day and night. If I see you drop your strength, that will piss me off. I'm counting on you to be strong. I'm counting on you that you will remain a man I can keep looking up to and trust. That's the wife's demand. She's not without demand. She's like, I need you to hold up your end. So it's not like she's just showing up without any parameters. But her parameter is, I am showing up in good faith. I am showing up to cooperate with you. And just as I am giving all of myself to you, I have expectations from you. For starters, I am choosing you because today you're a man I respect. Remain that man. This is not unconditional love. If you lose my respect, if you turn into some other man, if you lose your job, if you become a drunkard, if you start acting like a man, I don't want to be seen with it. I will leave your ass and go find another husband. So this is a two-way contract right? But she is interested in a win-win game. And we are building this together. She's not interested in controlling him. She is interested in showing up in good faith and contributing, building something together. Whereas a woman who is not really in a place where she can offer that to a man, but she still needs men. She's not happy with being a lesbian and saying, I'm just leaving men alone. Like, no, 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 I need men. I may even want their resources. I certainly want to have sex with them. But I really don't want to show up in good faith. So what am I going to do? I'm going to control. So that was the dark side of the fear. If a wounded feminine fears that male aggression, she will try to control it, right? And it's a very different energy. So if you want to know what kind of woman inspires a man, right? 
women are always complaining, men are commitment phobes, men don't want to commit to women, I'll really make this easy for you. When a man feels the wife energy on the other side, he commits to that woman quickly, rapidly, and out of self-interest. He doesn't do it because he's being a good man or he's doing his woman any favors. He's going after that woman the way Apple will go after some top coder in the world. It is completely selfish. I need you. I can already feel being with you. My life is better with you. You're already contributing so much to my life. Oh my God, what can I give you so that you will have me? So that your masteries, you will choose to pour them on me, right? Just as in the business world, please come work for us. What can we do to sweeten the deal? You're genius. Come pour it on our projects. It is an entirely self-interested decision. And men who are building their lives, they don't need to be convinced to go and grab the wives and say, please be mine, right? It is nonsense. If the man is hesitating, it's because he's not seeing a wife here. He is not seeing the contribution this woman is making to her his life. And he's like, she's asking for all this commitment. I may do it to keep her happy. I'm not seeing the upside in it. He's not seeing the partnership. When men see that partnership possibility because the woman is already contributing to him, he's like, with this woman, my life is bigger and better. His commitment to her is based entirely in self-interest, in a healthy self-interest, right? And again, very different energies. When he encounters a woman who is not that and who is interested in controlling him for her benefit, we can feel that in our core. That is not an inspiring energy. With that woman, we'll be in constant negotiation till this thing fractures. And competition, right? Competition to see, well, I still want certain things from her. Maybe I can give her a few things to keep, but this is like, this is a hostile tug of war that's going on. This is a constant haggling that's going on between a girlfriend and a man, right? Which I'm sure is familiar to most people. It's what the controlling woman inspires. If inspires the word we can use, it's not a good word. It's, it's too much of a word. But when a woman shows up as a helpmate to a man, she actually inspires his commitment in a literal sense because she inspires his self-interest because she qualifies. She's contributing. She's bringing so much to his life that he's like, my life is better with this woman in it. And that absolute self-interest is the root of his adoration for his woman. It's not just some kind of an infatuated boyish energy. I adore my woman. It's like, I fucking adore this woman, right? When marriages work, Men say that, being with the woman for 40 years. You will see it. It's cute. And you know it's true because they will both giggle and get goosebumps. He's like, this goddamn woman can't imagine life without her, right? That's adoration. Like, I don't even know what my life would have been without this woman in it. That's a marriage. That's bonding. It's because the woman has contributed so tremendously to the man's life. He's like, I would be lost without her, right? That's a great love. That's what we want. But that's based in contribution. That isn't based in a tug of war. That isn't based in a woman trying to control her man. Yeah, right? it's based in complementarity and polarity and the yeah. organizing forces of hierarchy. In, I think. in the in the woman always wanting her man to win because she knows that's who I want to be with. Why would you want to be with a loser? <laughs> Why would you want to be with a man who is so easy to control? 
and who you can make wrong easily. Who you can make wrong. And this is a this is like a cycle of hell anyway. The more a woman succeeds at controlling her man, the less she respects him, and down they go. The less she respects him, we have entered through the portals of hell. There are only more and more rungs down here once you start that cycle. And the more the weaker the man is in holding his boundaries and compromises himself, the less she respects him. And anytime the less she respects him, you have begun your descent into hell. Nobody ever recovers from that loop, ever, right? I love this conversation. I love this. It's, there's just so many pearls in here. And when we encounter these words, there's a remembrance, right? Like I think a sober woman can hear this and say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Okay, got it. So I want to leave women um, with a couple of, I don't know, tips, <laughs> pointers, you know, when it comes to embodying the wife archetype, you know, yeah. what would you say are things that a woman listening can open her door, walk out into the world, can, you know, wake up next to her man, turn yeah. turn her face towards him. You know, how can she live into this embodied archetype if there were just a few pointers you could give? Well, absolutely. This is again why I've created the primer mm-hmm. course, exactly because people keep asking this validly. And I'm like, I'll give you my answer. At least I want to articulate it and give it to you so that it can be out there. And I will I will read to you the titles of two of my three modules for the women. The third module has to do with eros, which is great. But, but I think erotic exploration is kind of its own lovely mastery to keep. The two that have to do with relationship are the first and the third module in this free course. And one that has to do with the third chakra says to women, find a man you can respect and then give yourself to him. There's one clue. I believe you can take that to the bank. Find a man you can respect. That in itself should be, that can open portals for you. Because too many women don't have, they never, never kept that metric. They've been chasing attraction. They've been chasing desire. They've been chasing lust. They've been chasing other things. They haven't had their focus on respect. Like wipe everything off the table. I'm not saying you can't have any of the other stuff. It can't be your number one priority, right? Find a man you can respect. And then give yourself to him. These are two very big propositions. And they both will reveal wounding. Because there are many women who are not ready to respect men. There are many women who are carrying a lot of energies in their systems that sabotage their ability to respect the masculine. So in a way, they're shooting themselves in the foot. If your respect mechanism towards a masculine is defective, your very mechanism for bonding with a man is defective. You will never have a happy relationship with a man you do not respect. So if there's wounding in there, heal it. And then the idea of giving yourself to a man, it is a very big proposition. You will have to go and bury your girlfriend archetype in the woods for you to be able to give yourself to a man. Most women don't. I lay down this gauntlet. Most women have never done it in their lifetimes. You could have had 30 years of relationships, serial monogamy or one marriage. And most women have never given themselves to a man. I take women's surveys and they nod like you do. Yeah. They know what that means energetically. Women are very sensitive. They're like, yeah, I know. There's a guarding. There's, yeah. And there's a different frequency. It's a different energy. But that is the bonding frequency. If you want it, that's the third chakra instruction, right? First chakra instruction, it really goes against 50 years of feminist conditioning. And it, it reads, Serve your man, serve your man's life, serve your village. And I really go into what the third piece means. It's something I feel women have completely lost track of. 
I think women are living such nuclear cellophane wrapped lives that that is the main cause of their neurosis. The feminine archetypes were not supposed to grow in individual greenhouses. They grew in villages. You became a woman in a village of women. You became a wife in a village of women. And this idea that you're going to become this independently grown, independently magnificent woman, I think it's archetypically incorrect. I think it's energetically incorrect. It's not how it happens. This is a structure of partnership of man coming together with a woman, but their partnership was never meant to be some isolated thing. At minimal, it was supposed to create a family between them. And it was supposed to tie in with their tribe and their extended family and their neighbors. Earlier in my process that you sort of dovetailed with and inspired on a deeper level, I had to do the work in order to make every man bigger, as you describe, and to interact with, you know, my plumber and the father of my children and, you know, the guy behind me at the supermarket with that energy of, I am looking for ways to make you bigger, right? A genuine expression of appreciation, a graciousness, whatever it might be. I had to decouple sexual vulnerability from that energy because previously I had imagined that if I give my heart energy in this way uh, to a stranger, to a man that I don't want to open to, then they might get the wrong idea, right? And that fear, of course, is something that, you know, I think can be, I would call it father wounding that can be healed and integrated so that you recognize that this kind of way of moving through the world is actually not only in service to the recipient, but it's actually in service to your safety, your system's safety to live in a world where you're in dynamic, which I think you might call the wife archetype with every single man you encounter. Let me let me tell you what the wrong idea is that you will give to the world if you walk in the wife archetype. Every man you meet will think, damn, I wish I was with this woman. I wish this woman was mine. Every older man you meet will think, I need to get this woman with my son as quickly as possible. Every older woman you would meet would think exactly the same thing. This is the daughter-in-law I want. That's a bad idea you would leave everywhere. You will beam your partnership qualification in the wife energy. It is not a lust energy, but it doesn't need to be. And it doesn't mean one iota that you need to tamp down your sexuality or sensuality. It's just, it's a different frequency. The girlfriend leads with her sexual energy. The wife really doesn't. Doesn't mean the wife can't be sexier, hotter, more erotically expressed than the girlfriend. It's not her calling card. She doesn't dangle her sexuality in front. She's like, this sexuality is here for my man to bear his children and to thrill him day and night and to bring him his morning coffee in my lingerie while I press my boobs into his face to wish him good morning. It is not an asexual archetype, right? But it leads with the partnership piece. I am here ready to partner and have qualifications. I am a great partner. That's what you will beam. And, you know, Kevin Samuels used to make this point. I will second it. He had different language for it. But when a woman is in that energy, they get swept off the shelf and off the market. Men are like, oh, my God, engaged and married in three months. Be mine before somebody else catches you. Right. Their partnership beacons goes off like I found one. I found a wife. 
I found a woman I can feel as my partner, my helpmate, somebody I can build a life with. That same man, he may be very urban and accomplished and good income, and he can be a catch to the girlfriend. And he probably has scores of girlfriends. He can dial up three, four rotation per week. None of them fulfill that criteria. And he knows you're going to stay in my girlfriend rotation. I enjoy you. Right. But as I write in the module, I hope you find it funny and not obnoxious. But I'm like, the girlfriend is good for two things, which is sex and brunch. A little bit of reliable sex and a little bit of companionship. And it is a model that has been championed. All your four women on Sex and the City, they're sex and brunch gals. They're girlfriends. There's not a wife among them. It's a model that has been sold as a fabulous woman, the sex and brunch gal. That has been sold to you as independence and empowerment. It's my empowerment that I can switch from man to man. Ain't that grand? Yes, the girlfriend can do that, but then don't whine. No man sees you in that partnership energy. You're not even trying to show up in that, right? It's what I'm seeing out there. And I, I see the anguish and the conflict in women. Like one part of them does want that bonding and it's like they are stuck in this archetype. I'm like, it is never going to happen in this energy. Yeah. And truthfully, the reason you can't step into the other energy is because there's wounding here that you have not healed. Working on it, all of us, <laughs> with your help. And, you know, I just love your particular flavor of keeping it real. It's very much my style. And I do find you hilarious. Every time I listen to one of your videos, I'm literally laughing out loud in my bathroom. So this, I feel, first of all, I want to say, like, you're welcome to the women listening, because I think that this is such an important point of clarification that gets lost in a lot of the covert service. You talk about this, the way that coaches and so many people out there really serve the pain body. I would call it yep. you know, the victim consciousness of women who are arrested in that space. And you've given it a name. I love this conversation. I know that we will have many more and I just so appreciate you. And we'll make sure that this link is in the show notes so people can Wonderful. begin their journey into clarity and self-possession and the alignment of their subconscious and semi-conscious and conscious desires with what it is that they are materializing in their lived experience. So thank you so much. Um, I love thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always amazing to talk to you. It is so wonderful to find people who are as interested and obsessed with these topics as I am. And so that we can actually go down the rabbit hole this deep and ask ourselves what is going on. And you know, the answers you discover there, they surprise even me when I first find out. But that's like the thrill of like discovering, like, is this actually what's happening? But it's like the thrill of discovering, you know, the clarification that ideas bring when something clarifies. You're like, is this what's actually going on? And you know what? Believe nothing that I say. But if you're interested in this conversation, if even if some of it rings true, try it out, try it out, try it out. There's no ideology here. My passion always is like things really don't seem to be working that great out, great out there. Can we do a little better? And I don't know. See if any of this helps you. You be the judge. Let's disrupt the pattern. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Talk to you soon.